It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Welcome to this episode of Kennedy Saves the World. And today we're going to try and save education from the government. Uh, There is so much indoctrination and propaganda in schools now, and it's not just public schools. Uh, They happen to be the ones who harbor more of the progressive teachers who are buoyed by teachers unions, uh, which can be a very radical and effective force in politics and in life because teachers unions donate so much money to Democrat politicians and then they help uh, craft policy that affects your child. So, you know, maybe over the last few years, you've noticed that your child is coming home talking more about leftist cultural issues uh, than maybe math or science. And there's something on its face, very wrong about that. When did it start? And what can you do about it? There's only one man to ask, and he has written the book on it. He is truly an American hero. He is an Army National Guard officer uh, born in Forest Lake, Minnesota. Oh, my Minnesota. gosh. He went to Harvard. He he was born or grew up in the same town as Bryant Brenberg, where apparently they only sprout handsome men <laughs> who are smart and athletic. Uh, He served as a platoon leader in Guantanamo Bay. He was awarded the Army Commendation Medal. He volunteered to serve in Baghdad and Samara as a platoon leader and civil military operations officer because he wanted to bridge the gap between uh, normal people and uh, the military personnel who were in their country. And he is here with me today. He is the author of Battle for the American Mind, Uprooting a Century of Miseducation, Pete Hegseth, welcome to Kennedy Saves the World. Thank you, Kennedy. I appreciate all the world. We need a lot of world saving right now. Mm, Thank you. We absolutely do. So, you know, this is something that, as a parent, I've been interested in for a long time. I I did not have, I don't think you would call um, my high school education particularly successful in that I never got a high school diploma. Had a lot of fun. I did a, a lot of great activities. If if high school were based <laughs> on activities, I would have gotten like a 5.0. Uh, but unfortunately, I didn't graduate. I still don't have a diploma, but I do have a college degree. Um, both my parents were teachers at some point in their careers. And it's very interesting. Like, From the time my daughters went to preschool and now my oldest is uh, going to be a senior in high school, the wheels have kind of noticeably fallen off the wagon. When did you realize this? So true. Uh, First, Kennedy, I was a public school kid, too. My my dad was a public school teacher. It it feels like eons ago. When did the wheels start coming off? It depends on when you define really coming off. But I do think these last couple of years... With the COVID, with COVID nineteen and the classroom coming into people's homes, parents have finally confronted a reality that maybe they were keeping at bay or or, or have rose colored glasses about because they just didn't want to think it was their school. Uh, but you're so right; it's not just public schools; it's 
private schools. It's a lot of Christian schools. Um, the entire pipeline of education in America today is controlled by progressives. And I love that you use the word propaganda. That is what it is at this point. It is a worldview being given to our kids that is gone from bias, which we knew, gone from bias to indoctrination, now to f sheer activism and agenda. Uh, and so as a result, they get a, kids get a certain set of ways that they're supposed to think about the world, all through a left-wing Marxist progressive lens. Uh, and that's how they encounter the world, almost regardless of where they went to school. Now, I got that kind of education in high school. Brian Bremberg and I did in Forest Lake, Minnesota, and we didn't even know it. It just wasn't laid bare yet because this has been a 100-year project of the left to target. We always think of the lunacy of college. This is Their target at the beginning was the youngest of kids because that's where you shape the worldview. That's where the vision of the good life comes from, our, our seven, eight, nine, 10-year-olds. And they worked really hard to get there. And Hemingway once said of bankruptcy, it happens gradually until it happens quickly. And the same thing is what we're looking at in education. It happened very gradually over years as we gave up more ground, gave more ground to the government, more power to unions, more power to the Department of Education, more power to setting standards and funding and curriculum. And all of that culminated to the point where there's almost no challenge to the monopoly of power in education today. And, and the fountainhead of it is the unions. You're exactly right. But protesting at school boards and writing letters and uh, that's all good to do, but utterly insufficient to change any part of how our kids are ultimately being taught. And now they're just going, because they think their power is so unchallengeable, uh, they're going full speed ahead out in the open, try to stop us is basically their view. And the electorate is responding and that's a good thing. What we're hoping to do in the book is get parents and grandparents to be way more intentional about how they decide where their kid is educated. And I come at this too, as a parent who is discovering this stuff in real time, thought probably four years ago, my kids will go to public school, no doubt. Yeah, it's a little left wing, but we'll, we'll figure it out. And today, you know, we're, we've taken them out. We're, we're putting them in classical Christian schools. And that's what the book talks about. We uh, type of school system we really love, but really should just be about educational choice for every parent for the dollars to follow them. And, and we talk about that poly, policy prescription for a number of chapters, but mostly we wanna encourage parents to just kind of realize the depth of the problem and then do something. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's tough in different cities because education is different in different places as it should be. You know, education is different for different kids in the same family, uh, but they, they've had this one size fits all approach, which is problematic to begin with. And then, especially when Common Core was implemented, yes. uh, then the wedge really started to develop between parents and school. And, you know, there was an ostracization of parents from the classroom. Um, unless they needed parents to volunteer to clean, which, you know, my daughter's school has <laughs> sent out several emails. And I'm like, mm, you guys just got $200 billion from the federal government. You can use some of that money <laughs> to get people to come in and clean your damn classrooms. Well, um, they used it to hire more diversity, equity, inclusion counselors is what they did. Yes. And, you know, the problem is um, kids are not proficient in math and English. And, you know, sometimes in some Correct. districts, particularly in big cities like Washington, D.C. and Los Angeles, that that is a huge percentage of the population. So, you know, it's, it's really easy to say, well, just send your kids to private school. The private schools in New York City are arguably 
worse. They are more aggressive. They are more woke. Uh, They ostracize parents to a greater degree than the private schools. And, you know, it's you're, you're just banging your head against the wall. All right. We got more of this interview after this. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Janice Dean, Fox News Senior Meteorologist. Be sure to subscribe to the Janice Dean Podcast at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to spread the sunshine. I I think this book is really important for not only pointing out the problem with the Prussian factory system, but also, you know, the importance of school choice. And what did you think about the Supreme Court decision that came down recently oh, love about, it. about Maine? Love it. I mean, it, it, talk about liberating parents. It's, a, it's about time. You're exactly right. I mean, the book is not about the lack of ex- excellence that our government system provides. We know that. That's almost a given up front. Like you look at the graduation rates in a lot of these cities and places. It's horrific. Kids that can't read, read or do math even remotely at grade level. We know their monopoly on government instruction has failed. That we know. Um, this is about Yes, excellence. And eventually school choice and competition and all of that should breed an environment where schools are competing for customers. And maybe by doing so, they go back to the basics and actually teach them. Uh, Again, there's so many more dynamics on that. But ultimately, this is about if you as a family have you know, certain values or certain things that you, whether it's belief in God or whether it's um, a belief in, you know, what are what the founding of our country represents, where our rights come from, individual liberty and freedom, all of those things you shouldn't have to spend your evenings and church on Sunday or other activities deprogramming what your school is teaching your kids. You should be able to, and I believe if you wanna be as intentional as possible about it, should radically reorient your life around what happens in your kids' minds for 40 hours a week, 52 weeks out of the year minus summer. And that right now we're reflexively sending our kids to Democrat camp. And that's putting it kindly and mildly and then hoping to deprogram them because we thought it was just a college problem or maybe just a high school problem. The word we use in the book that we rediscover, and it's not a new word, but it's been lost in our vernacular, is paideia, which is a Greek word for effectively enculturation or learning on the youngest of kids. The progressives in the early 20th century wrote a lot about it in the New Republic, John Dewey and the likes. They knew the most impressionable minds, if you can get to those, it's a lot more effective than at the end of the pipeline trying to you know, indoctrinate them in college. And so they, they knew social control was predicated on the ability of not having liberated minds. I mean, that's what a liberal arts is, liberated minds. You can think freely, you can identify fallacies, you know when someone's selling you insane rhetoric uh, and, and, and you can move in another direction. Our schools just aren't doing that. And you, you laid out some of it to include the SAT, which doesn't measure reasoning anymore because it's now measured toward the common core curriculum, which is so, and to bring it full circle to the beginning of your question, yes, local control, I believe in local control and education all the way, all the way down to the parent making the decision. The problem is, is most of our education pipeline has been completely federalized to the point where the dollars at the local level and all the training that teachers get is effectively controlled at, you know, one or two levels above of federal educators who are getting money to do certain things based on what the unions want them to do, what progressive Democrats want them to do. And that makes its way, if not into the curriculum, then into the pedagogy, which is how teachers teach. So hoping to move to a good zip code to avoid the nonsense. Yes, you're still going to get a different version of public school in Kentucky than you would in Cambridge, Massachusetts. 
but it's getting a lot similar in both locations and not in the right direction because of the prerogatives coming down from the federal level. So escaping it is a harder thing to do inside public schools. And then you're right, elite schools are worse uh, because they parents are paying to get their kids effectively even more indoctrinated. And then you add phones and social media on top of it and the culture around it. And it's, it's a very difficult thing to defeat. So excellence is one thing and schools are not delivering it. And we should go back to that. But it's also the ethos of what kind of worldview we want our kids surrounded by. And there, we believe there's a good set of options. You really got to work hard to find them and, and, and send your kids to them. And we think a competing ecosystem with the government schools is what is necessary at this point, because protesting at school boards, while wonderful, it's uh, we use in the book, we say it's like protest. It's like uh, charging a fortified machine gun nest with Nerf guns. You know, we, we salute your efforts, but you're all going to die. Uh, and the system's going to keep rolling on. And I, I hope it's a wake up call for people who, you know, our freedoms are predicated on the ability to understand where they come from and perpetuate them. And if we're pumping out self-loathing socialists out of who believe the climate is the only crisis we face, we're not going to be able to keep it. What happens to society when, uh, you know, this legion generation takes over because it's one thing to have younger employees who are annoying it's something very different to have people in power from this generation who have been propagandized from the time uh they're very young all the way through college and you know including if they do postgraduate work it's i don't know it's called uncharted territory it's called uh it's it's why getting into this issue is such a passion of mine with young kids and you have young kids and and what future they're going to have. We need, first of all, we need to start fortifying our ranks as much as we can now, because we're not going to have 50% of the population in the right kind of schools. But if we can pump out one, two, 3%, 4% of kids that get it, um, that's going to be a strong bulwark against a lot of the nonsense of the future, but we're behind the curve. It's a, it's a, it's a Lord only knows. And we use three different phases and kind of how this is, We talk about the Western Christian paideia, which was predominant at our founding and basically existed up until the 1960s-ish, although that's all very, very wishy-washy. Then you have the American progressive paideia, which was effectively an allegiance to the state. You know, they took the Bible out of the classroom and replaced it with a flag and gave everybody a pledge that didn't say under God. And the new allegiance was not patriotism as we think of it, but, you know, the state is how we all orient our allegiances to. That was the that was the American progressive paideia. Today, we're living in the culturally Marxist paideia. And, and what does that produce, at least inside the American progressive paideia? And, you know, we, we could have a debate about Iraq and Afghanistan, and I've come a lot more in your direction uh, over the years on, on the efficacy of those things. But at least after 9-11, our collective ability to muster a response was, was robust because there was enough reservoir of goodness in what America is. Talk to me in 30 years when you've pumped out a generation of people who are now in charge, who believe America is to blame for all the problems in the world. Take any crisis, international or domestic. I don't know how you muster that collective will when necessary, if you need to, if you've taught these kids to hate the country that they live in and how they they hold those positions. They also hate competition, uh, which is naturally bad for a global economy because, you know, people complain that. American students uh, aren't good at STEM work, uh, but they also they they can't they can't read and write. Um, 
But it's because, you know, competition is seen as something very totally. antithetical to a productive society. Uh, even though it, you, it helps you produce more if you are competing with other people uh, trying to outmaneuver them. Uh, that is healthy. That is a part of human nature. That is what allows capitalism to uh, bring billions of people in the history of the planet out of extreme poverty. Uh, but it is also something that is irrationally vilified in public education and, you know, oh, progressive 100%, education. 100% right. And I think the, the one word we've zero, zeroed in on, which is their code word, uh, which we hear more and more every single day is the word equity, which is a replacement for equality. Equality was about equal opportunity. Equity is about this mythical equal outcome. And equity is, is the whitewashed word that Marxists use uh, for leveling the playing field, which means pulling everyone down to the lowest common denominator in some sort of a dystopian, utopian future, they always say is around the corner under the guise of progress. So instead of excellence, seeking excellence, maybe a valedictorian, uh, or there's, there's no list, there's no competition, everyone is not just equal, needs to be equitable. Uh, and you see... I mean, this book came out this week uh, and it hit the number one New York Times bestseller list. It's been a phenomenal response and we're really proud of it. It came out the same day as Ibram X. Kendi's book, How to Raise an Anti-Racist, uh, which sold a dismal amount of books overall. Our book will get no reviews. Uh, it will be taught in no universities and it'll be used in none of the schools in our country except maybe classical Christian schools. His book will be embraced by the National Education Association and the AFT. He will go to their conferences and speak. His book will be reprinted for use in classrooms in higher education. And How to Raise an Anti-Parent will be the template through which educators teach other educators how to educate on race and equity. They control the, the inputs and therefore the outputs. So when people say they read this book and they go, how did I not know any of this? How, how in the world did, did they do it? I said, because the progressives write the textbooks and they write the rosy view of how, you know, what American history looked like when they were in control and how evil Ronald Reagan was and, uh, and, and free economics, free market economics is tragic and evil and brutish in life. And it does come back to an understanding of human nature, which is why getting rid of God was such a central aspect of what the early progressives did. They wrote about it intentionally. They were obsessive about, we got to get God out of the classroom. And it wasn't because they were obsessed over wall of separation of church and state. No, it was that they knew understanding of human nature, uh, our fallen nature and our impulses was central to how this system was set up that restrains government and, and makes it uh, prevents it from descending into tyranny. They had to tear down that understanding in order to create the types of scheme. And they figured it out that the classroom was the place, Kennedy. You know who they studied? They studied uh, Frances Willard in the 1870s. She put a third grade curriculum in as many classrooms as she could across the country. It was an anti-alcohol curriculum in the 1870s. And a generation later in 1919, what did we have? A constitutional amendment banning the sale and consumption of alcohol in America in prohibition. And the progressives said, if you can do that with third grade curriculum and get a constitutional amendment passed, that's the type of political movement and outcomes that we want. And it works when you start with the most impressionable of our youth. So when you're telling kids that they're oppressor or oppressed at the age of eight because of their skin color, or they should be choosing their pronouns, um, at those tender of ages, you are, you are you're tilling the soil, the fertile soil of the paideia of an entire generation of a country. 
hoping to get a political outcome, which never works, as you know, but justifies their existence and certainly leads to the consolidation of power. And we've just been asleep at the wheel. Like we, we've been busy fighting wars and, and, and justifiably fighting for the free market and doing all these things as conservatives. And the edu- they just gobbled up the positions and gobbled up the pipeline of education. And here we are. Well, it obviously uh, is not working in their favor. The polling has been awful, and it is going to be uh, one of the biggest issues in the midterms and in the presidential election in 2024 uh, because parents are awake now. They understand what is happening, and they are in a position where they are ready for uh, money to follow the child to the school of their choice, the parents' choice, not the state's yes. choice. And it's going to be a very interesting time. Uh, battle for the American mind, uprooting a century of miseducation. Pete Hegseth with David Goodwin. Uh, get the get the book now. It's out this week. And, you know, if if you care about what might be going on in your kid's classroom, this is a great place to start. Pete Hegseth, thank you for being a part of the podcast. You are the best, Kennedy. Thank you, you so much. You are the best. The book's fantastic. This has been Kennedy Saves the World. I'm Kennedy. For more podcasts from my friends at Fox, you can go to foxnewspodcast.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Oh, go ahead and leave me a review while you're there. I'd love to hear what you have to say. You've been listening to Kennedy Saves the World on the Fox News Podcast Network. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.